Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 240 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Dexcom, Omnipod, and Dancing for Diabetes. There are links in the show notes of your podcast player at juiceboxpodcast.com, or you can type them right into a browser like this, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox, and dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. I am almost uncertain about how to explain what this episode is about to you, other than to say Carly has had type 1 diabetes for a very long time. She is a certified diabetes educator, and this was amazing. This conversation rocks straight through to the end. Do not skip a moment, because if you do, greatness will be lost. Carly is dealing pearls, gems, throughout. And I am, you know, delightful. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical plan or becoming bold with insulin. And if you're in the United States today, allow me to say to you, happy 4th of July. If you're in England, let me say this to you. And the rest of you, this is just a regular episode. Here we go. Hi, I'm Carly, and I've been diabetic for 23 years, and I am also a certified diabetes educator. At 23 years, how old were you when you were diagnosed, if you don't mind saying? Yeah, I was seven years old. Seven years old, 23 years ago. I'm going to do some quick math. This is the, <laughs> no, hold on. It's like the mid-90s-ish, mid-90s. Uh-huh. All right, okay, say. Living at home, obviously one parent, two parents. Which did I you had have? two parents. I'm very supportive of my diabetes and diagnosis. So seven, so kind of, you know, kind of could understand what was going on, but also relied on my parents for a long time. So you were old enough to know that it sucked and not probably old enough to kind of take charge of it so they were yeah right that makes exactly when I was diagnosed I remember sitting in the hospital room and um my parents are both crying and I wasn't uh, I wasn't in DKA and I was feeling fine I had been pulled out of dance class so um I was like what is going on why is everyone crying and you know the doctors came in and they said which they they explained, you know, to my parents kind of what was going on. It was a little bit over my head at the time. Sure. And then after they left and my parents said, do you understand what, what's going on? And I said, can I still play outside? <laughs> and that was my first question. Like, I thought I was dying the next day. You know, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. So. Let's start with so. the basic stuff. Am I going home ever? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And by the way, I love you guys, but you're not handling this moment really well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they tried their best. But I, I thought, you know, life as I knew it was over completely. And that really wasn't the case at all. So, <laughs> Well, gr- uh, gratefully, we figured it out in like the wee hours of the morning. And so when a doctor came in a room and told us, and I cried like a small child for quite some time, (laughs) Arden was asleep, so she didn't get to say it. Uh, There you go. (laughs) Yeah, I've always sort of been really grateful about that, that because I thought in that, like, we had a really good idea of what was happening before we got there. 
And I was like, now the doctor's going to come in, they're going to say it, and you're just going to be, you're going to hold it together. And please, like three words into it. And I was like, oh my God. So um, I, I feel for your parents. I really do. Yeah. Uh, did you guys hit the ground running? Was Did one of them kind of take more of a lead than the other? Did you take the lead? How did the early days of management go? Yeah. So from what I can remember, um, my parents, you know, kind of took the lead. Um I think it was a full year before I gave my own injection. So I think by eight, I was giving my injections with a little bit of help. Um, I learned at diabetes camp um, the next summer, which I hated and I never went back to again. But um, I learned at diabetes camp how to give injections. So that was, I guess, a good thing about diabetes camp. But my my parents pretty much helped me with, you know, the carb counting and um, taking my insulin at the time. And I was on, might have been Levimir and regular, but I think it was MPH and regular at the beginning. Isn't it funny about like the idea of camp? It's not so much about whether you could use it or not. It's a personality thing. Like there are some people who like camp and there are some people who don't. And, and I don't think if it was die, you probably wouldn't like a regular camp. Maybe you're just like not a like get together with a bunch of people. And I think, I think I was more of a homebody and I had my friends and I didn't want to meet new people. So Mm -hmm. I think I, I went to like church camps and things like that and I loved it. But I think going to diabetes camp, I was like, these are all strangers. I don't I really know these people and it didn't help. I got the stomach bug while I was there. So <laughs> that probably is the reason I really hated it. Oh, I, I thought you were making like air quotes around stomach bug. You're like, I got sick and had to leave. You know, uh, it could have been a nervous <laughs> stomach bug, right? but, <laughs> but it was definitely, I definitely didn't feel well. I hear you. Okay. So Doing shots. And I'm, by the way, I don't think it's a big deal at all that it took you a year to give yourself an injection. I don't know. As I think back on it, Arden moved to a pump when she was four. I don't think Arden's ever injected herself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, sometimes, I do work with kids occasionally, and I, I do feel like that was that's very normal to not give injections. Mm-hmm. But I just remember, you know, at the beginning, it was more of a control thing, probably for my parents. Like, look, we want to make sure we're giving you the right thing. Um, you know, plus you don't you know. have to worry about checking for air bubbles and all yeah. that. Carly, you might've been a little dopey. Maybe they didn't trust you with the needles to be perfectly honest. <laughs> that could be it. Yeah, They were probably like, I don't think we should give that kid anything sharp. Yeah. <laughs> do you pump now as an adult? I do. Yeah. I, I wear a pump, um, in a CGM. When did you start that? So I started a pump in seventh grade, so I would have been, um, I don't know, 12. I don't know. How old are you in seventh grade? I can't Listen, remember. you start asking me but stuff I, I, like that. I do remember I was in seventh grade. Right. So seventh grade, and was that decision yours, or was it the doctor? Did your parents? It was kind of a combination. Um, I think it was kind of just what people did, and I, I don't remember being extremely excited about going on a pump. Yeah. Um, I think... I don't remember dreading it either. I just don't really remember it being either way. I don't remember it being significant. Yeah. Um, and even even after I got the pump, I don't really remember it being significant. Well, it's, it's not exactly like the 14-year-old version of getting a television in your room. It's not, you know. Right. It isn't. Any, by right. the way, does that even correlate now? Do people even want TVs in their room anymore? Maybe I'm... <laughs> How is that an old thought? Anyway, uh, no, no, I, I would get it. Like it just, it's a progression of what you're, of what's next. You know, you, you've been yeah. going to this doctor forever and now they're like, Hey, you should probably try this pump thing. Did you like it at first? I did like it. I don't remember pushing back at all. Now keep in mind when I was, um, when I first got the pump, 
and I, it was probably ni- 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- there wasn't basil. There wasn't any of these advanced pump features that are really the reason why I love the pump now. Sure. So it was just a way, you know, to deliver my insulin without having to stop and pull out a, a needle. Yeah. No, and I so say that, I think more than anything, that was it. Right. So it's convenience and not having to stick yourself. Exactly. Back, back then. Now it's, I tell people that that's the least of what an insulin pump is now. You, you, you know, there's so much, oh, yeah. yeah, so much that comes out of it. Now, let me ask you this. I make you the king of the world and you get to make all the big decisions. A kid comes in seven years old, is diagnosed. Do you hand them needles or do you just give them a pump? Yeah. So this, you know, I think it really depends on, for kids, in, in my opinion, I think it really depends on the parents. Now, there's kids that I have seen, and to be clear, I don't work with kids very often. I I mainly work with the adult pump population. Because they don't let you near kids? I do insulin pump training mainly (laughs) for my job. So I I do do kids occasionally, um, mainly um, inpatient diagnosis, so like new type ones in the hospital. So yeah, that is a very good point because I've heard... No, on this podcast and in other, you know, circles, just, you know, why don't we just stick a pump on people? That would seem like it'd be so much easier. Mm-hmm. And for a large percentage of the population, I think it would be, um, especially since that's where a lot of people end up, end up going anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, more than anything, I think we should be slapping CGMs on everyone <laughs> as soon as they get in the hospital. I was getting Slap to a that, CGM on them, leave, because I, you know, we feel safer as healthcare professionals, I feel so much safer as a diabetic and as a parent of a diabetic. I mean, game over. It's like completely, completely different. Yeah. Story. Yeah. So it's, you know, as much as I think there are incredible benefits to pumping the end, you know, obviously suggestions you can make with how your insulin works that are, are, you know, not available to you if you're using a slow acting insulin, but the idea that you don't get a CGM the minute someone tells you we're going to start pumping man-made insulin into you is bizarre. Like, yeah. to, you know, to me, because it exists. And, right. and, you know, I get that there are plenty of people who don't want these devices and it's fine with me. I don't, I have no opinion about you not wanting it. If you don't want it, you don't want it. I just made right. myself the king of the world a second ago. So I get to make all the decisions. Now. <laughs> and, and I'm saying to you that, you know, the benefits, like, you know, I, I hear people say, well, I don't want to wear anything. A lot of people have that feeling in the beginning, especially about their children. They don't want them to feel like machines, which is something that I experienced when we thought about an insulin pump the first time. It really, it really scrambled my brain to think about attaching something to Arden. It took me a, yeah. little, a little time to get over that. I will say when I was in high school and beyond high school, even until the last maybe five years or so. Um, I used to go on pump holidays a lot. Um, I would, every time I went to the beach, maybe it was a body image thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But every time I went to the beach, I would take my pump. I would go on injections. My control was terrible. I mean, you know, I was basically guessing at long acting doses or my doctor was guessing at long acting doses because it obviously doesn't work the exact same way. So they would do the conversion and stuff, but I would be struggling with highs and lows the whole time. But for me, it was so nice to not have a pump on. Um, and that was when I was on a tubed pump. So, um, you know, things have changed quite a bit and now I don't go on pump holidays. Um, you go to the beach now, you don't think anything of your pump, which pump do you have? I have the Omnipod right now. Okay. 
Um, and so I even get that. Like I get the idea of like, I do hear people talk about, you call it a pump holiday. I hear people say pump vacation. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the idea of like, I'm going to stop using my pump for a while. I can't fathom how that's easier. And maybe I'm just connecting it to the word vacation and thinking of a vacation as something that is relaxing. But maybe I'm not thinking of the psychological aspect of it. Like I just don't. Yeah. Psycho- no, for a diabetic pre-CGM. Okay. Now mm-hmm. pre-CGM is, it's a completely different story. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go anywhere, do anything without my CGM now. Um, but prior to a CGM, it was, eh, my control is not that great anyways. So, you know, if I have some two, three hundreds on my vacation, it's okay. Um, this thing's a so, dumpster fire. Let's throw some more gas on. It's not going to exactly. hurt Exactly. I mean, I, I didn't really know what I was doing back in the day right. when I was pumping. So to have, to have go back on injections wasn't that big of a deal. Now I, I would not be able to do it. I mean, there's just no way I would be able to do it. But back in the day, even I, I was thinking back on my wedding day, on my wedding day, <laughs> I went off my pump. And I had a 300 five minutes before I walked down the aisle. Mm-hmm. I mean. And you wish you kind of had that moment back where your blood sugar wasn't that high? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah. like, you know, that this was before um, before the, the Dexcom, of course. I can tell you that I don't think it's, I don't think it's considered a lot, you know, when people are thinking about diabetes in the beginning, but. This week alone, I think I've spoken to like three different families and have this conversation with them. A few days later, you get a nice note back from, hey, you know, we, we cut the spikes out, we get, we're figuring it out, it's really coming along. But each one of the three of them has remarked at the significant change in the overall happiness and attitude of their kid. You know, like just, Mm -hmm. my God, he seems so much happier. She doesn't, you know, she used to feel sick to her stomach all the time. Like all of this stuff that just get a nice stable blood sugar somewhere and you don't, I don't think you realize what those 250s prolonged, what a 200 prolonged, what a 300 that goes to a 60 that goes back to a 300, how how badly it makes you feel you get used to it, you know? It affects every aspect of your your life, of your day, you know, like your, it affects your energy level, it affects your mood, it affects your level, you know, how soon you're ready for bed that night. It affects so many different things. So it's, it's pretty amazing. None of us could have known all those years ago when we fled British oppression that one day that freedom would lead to the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. Let me just tell you about history for a second. Some people, there was like a king, nobody liked it. I mean, some people didn't like it. So they jumped on a boat and they like sailed across the ocean. They were probably thinking they were going to like sail right off the edge of the globe. Who knows what they thought? I wasn't there. They get here. They moved across the country. Next thing you know, bang, America. Fast forward a little bit. Some guy says, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could figure out what your blood sugar is doing? I mean, honestly, this is exactly what happened. I, I don't know why they don't teach this in school, but you know, wouldn't it be cool if I could see how fast my blood sugar was moving and in what direction I was going in? And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's why the, you know, they got on the Mayflower so we could figure that out. And they were like, oh my God, rockets, red glare. And then they, they set off some fireworks and had corn on the cob and watched a parade. Then the guys from Dexcom, they got back to work because you know, the holiday was over. 
and they designed the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. After that, they called the FDA and said, we think this thing works so well, people won't need to use finger sticks anymore. Then the FDA agreed, and that was pretty much it. Now here we are. So seriously, if you'd like to find out more about the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor, go to dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Find out about a world where you can see the direction and speed that your blood sugar is moving and where you can see a loved one's blood sugar remotely on Android or iPhone. You sent me a note, we're going on like maybe nine months ago, and you said you had just found the podcast, but how did you find it? Yeah, actually, um, I had heard about it through, I think, a doctor, that um, a pediatrician that um, I kind of work with. and. Um, it just mentioned that it was a interesting podcast for type ones. And I thought, Oh, I should listen to it. So I started listening to it and I haven't really stopped. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I appreciate, I, I, I want to stop for a second. Any medical people who are listening, who are telling other people about the podcast, I really appreciate that. I got a note from the, um, from the chief pediatric endo at a really large hospital the other day that said that they were listening to the podcast. And I thought, Oh, this is this is great because my overall goal for it has to be for doctors and endos and CDEs to start talking about the stuff this way. So I don't have to do this forever because I'm going to get too old to do this at some point. So we need to, uh, <laughs> we, at some point it can't be cool to listen to a podcast like run by like a 60 year old guy. So we got to get done before then is what I'm saying. Um, not that I'm 60 now, I'm just saying, uh, but, yeah. but like, so seriously, like the podcast has taught me more than anything that if you give people good information sooner, that they don't have to go through a lot of the problems that we think of as the stuff you have to go through while you're learning about diabetes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And sure. you know, so I, I love that. So can you talk a little bit about how as a CD when, and you said you deal a lot with adults, how do you instruct them? I'd love to know what that first couple meetings is like. Dancingfordiabetes.com. Dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. Dancingfordiabetes.com. On Facebook, on Instagram, online. Check out Dancing for Diabetes. How do you instruct them? Currently, what, my, what I'm doing is pump education. So I do literally pump and CGMs all day. Mm -hmm. So um, really, I can only get about two of those in because, you know, they take a while. So a lot of the times it's kind of a working education, right? Because I'm, I'm teaching them about their product. And then I'm also kind of throwing in some little things about dosing. And I, I get a lot, you can get a lot in a, assessing patients as far as like how they're doing what they do now based off just your conversation. I don't like to go in and say, are, how do you carb count? How do you do this? Because ultimately, that's, that, you know, my fellow diabetes educators might say, what? You don't teach them how to carb? Not really. I mean, I do. Carb counting is important. It's important to know kind of what you're eating. But um, it, it's different with, with, a pump with pump therapy and a CGM. Mm -hmm. So I do, my, I do my best to follow American Association of Diabetes Educators kind of guidelines for things, but I also kind of have my own little twist on things. I live it and I get it and I know how it is. And not that diabetes educators that don't have diabetes can't understand, but there is a little bit of, of you know, leeway, I feel like, so. that I give my patients versus 
if I didn't live it because yeah. I understand it's not, it is not black and white. Right. It is more gray than anything else there is. Yeah. I don't know how, um, someone who doesn't have diabetes would know to tell somebody, you know, I, I think one of the more valuable things I say to people is when something goes the way you don't want it to go, you can't think of that as a mistake. You can't get depressed or sullen or dramatic. You have to, that's the best moment ever because what you have now is amazing data about what you did and what happened. And then you can make an adjustment to it the next time. It is such an incredible moment. And if you lose that moment to like, woe is me, then you're going to keep having that problem over and over again and never learn from it. I don't know yeah. how a doctor would think to tell you that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it's scary for healthcare professionals to tell patients, take fast acting insulin 30 minutes early or take you know, take your insulin early. I mean, that for, for if you don't see exactly what it's doing on a daily basis, when you do something like that, it is scary. It sounds scary. You know, you're told, but when kids are diagnosed, you're told dose this insulin after they eat. They don't know, you don't know what they're going to eat, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so it is, it is a little bit scary to tell people that. So I choose my patients that I kind of teach, you know, bold with insulin or pre-bolusine. I, I choose my patients carefully because some patients are just truly not there. Like they can't, their knowledge base is, is just very poor. So and they, they might be coming in on a pump and they might have all of the tools that somebody else has, but, but I would not feel safe sending them out with a hidden gym. I, I would not feel safe giving them that information. So I kind of do kind of choose depending on the patient's level of education. I do feel like myself and a lot of people like on the podcast are just a portion of the popula of the diabetes population. Okay. And so you're saying something that I don't think I've ever said out loud, which is if you're listening to the podcast, you found it because you were in a moment that you thought this isn't right. I know there's better than this. Let me go figure out what else I don't know. And you as an edge, as a, as a doctor, you know, a doctor has to see everyone. And so you, you're being very polite, but what you mean, and I think, and what I say privately is that when I meet people, they are of all levels of intellect. And, and I, I've, the way I come to think of it is like a classroom. If you put 20 people in a classroom randomly, you're going to get three incredibly bright people, three people who are incredibly challenged, and maybe 14 in the middle are just average. But how do you assess that meeting them for the first time in a doctor's office? Right. And so you, and you have to, and so you're saying that you adjust the information based on your assessment of what they can handle. Is that right? Correct. Yep, correct. And, you know, a lot of it's access. Like, you know, I, I just want to, sometimes I want to scream from the mountaintops, like, because I do, I do inpatient education too. So I do pumps and then I also go into like hospital rooms and I educate patients that are acutely ill and DKA, type twos, you know, lots of different, everything, you name it. I'll see that inpatient. Um, and so I sometimes will come across like a type one and I'm like, I want to scream from the mountaintops. This can be better. You know, this can be so much better. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to run up in the 15% range, you know, A1C wise, and you can feel good and you could be, you can have a life that's better. And so sometimes I, I want to, you know, yeah. I want to give everyone a Dexcom brochure and I want to say, get this, you know, or, but a lot of it's accessibility, socioeconomic status, yep. just a desire at all to, to, 
you know, they have a, well, diabetes is at least their concerns because they got so much other stuff going on in their life. So, so that's where I think as healthcare providers, I think a lot of the times, um, this specific like podcast population is, is such a small percentage of the people that they see. But being, with that being said, like, I find this podcast so helpful and I like look forward to listening to it and I learn something. I learn something from every person you've interviewed. Yeah. I try to tell people that when they come on, I, I think almost every person who's ever been on this podcast says I shouldn't be on because I don't have anything to add. And I always laugh and I'm like, you have no idea. Just it, it, you, you come, you're going to help somebody. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, no matter what level you could be on injections, you could be have been had diabetes for two months. Like it doesn't matter. You still, it's more just, it's like a support group. It's like, yeah, 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 they get it. Someone has a different perspective on something or they'll say something. You may have heard something said six different ways and it not strike you. And then on the seventh way, there it is. And, and I'll, I'll, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, but you've heard me, I imagine draw kind of that image of a tug of war about how to balance insulin, right? And yeah. it's and it's an incredibly simple idea that, and I've said it a million times privately, um, and I've said it on here. That comes from a person who contacted me privately once. When they got on the phone with me, in a moment, I realized that, and I I I, I, I struggle to say it like this, but intellectually they weren't where they needed to be, and 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 I I just education wise they were they were just they were, I feel so badly saying this, but, but it was tough. It was tough for them, right. To hear what I was saying. And so I still really wanted to help. And in that moment, I thought to myself, like, how do I distill this down further? Like, how can I get this down to a spot where everybody can understand it? And that in that moment, I said to her, I want you to imagine a tug of war. And in the middle of that rope is, is a flag. And unlike tug of war at school, we don't want one side to win. We want them to both pull, get tired, and stop pulling at the same time, leaving the flag in the middle. We want to start with your blood sugar at 90. That's the flag. We're going to give the insulin a head start because it's at a disadvantage. And then once that insulin starts pulling, the food's going to start pulling, the insulin's going to increase in its intensity. Everyone's going to get tired at the same time and drop the rope, and your blood sugar's never going to move. And Three weeks later, I got a beautiful email back and she figured it out. And, and that's the moment when I thought all these tenants that we talk about on the podcast, they all have to be boiled down so far. There's nothing left, no fat, nothing to confuse you. And that's where sentences like, you know, you have to trust that what you know is going to happen is going to happen. That's such yeah. a bigger idea. But I figured out that that's the sentence. If your blood sugar's high or your blood sugar's low, you've mistimed or miscalculated your insulin. That's it. And, yep. you know, like that kind of stuff. And so my question to you is, could it be put to a person in a clinical setting in those very distilled terms? Do you think that even the most challenged person you speak to could hear it? Hey, those of you that are at a family party right now or picnic for the fourth and you have one earbud in and you're sitting up against the wall listening to the podcast, I want to say hi to you especially. To all of you, I want to say Omnipod. When you think of an insulin pump, do you think of a device with a bunch of tubing connected to a site where you get your insulin? 
Because if that's what you think, that's not what Omnipod is. I think you need to see it for yourself. Go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. When you do that, Omnipod will be happy to send you a free, no obligation demonstration pod. They call it a PEC. It's a pod experience kit. A whole little, it's like a box with a little pod in it. And uh, you can wear it. And that way you don't have to imagine what wearing an insulin pump is like. You'll actually get to see. At some point in this episode, you're going to hear Carly describe her concerns about insulin pumping and what she found when she found Omnipod. And I think you're going to have a similar reaction. Now, the great thing is, if I'm wrong, no skin off your nose because free and no obligation demo gets sent to your house, right? It's not like you had to sign away like a child or, um, you know, shoot yourself to Mars to get it. Nothing like that. Just fill in some information. They send you the pod and you give it a shot. Go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box or use the links in your show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Give it a try today. And at the next picnic or swim party you're at, you'll be getting your insulin continuously, whether you're swimming, playing volleyball, or sleeping on a hammock, never having to disconnect. Do you think that even the most challenged person you speak to could hear it? Oh, yes, I do. I do think that. Um, and, and no matter what, I feel like when I, even when I speak with patients that have that struggle, I, I do think that I can, I, I teach them and I do think they find value in some of the things that I say, even just, even just, you know, listen, I know it's hard and I know it's tough and it's constantly going to be that way, but it can be easier. Here's how, and giving like little analogies, like, like tug of war or, um, you know, just any, any type of balancing act is really what it is. And I, I do think that that helps a lot and patients come out with it. Just, it's more of a kind of just like a state of mind mm -hmm. that I think you have to get patients in first and then they can really, then they're willing to accept the education. I always, always say that like you have to hit a spot where you're so desperate that you'll listen to anything because then that allows you to ignore all the things that have been told to you in the past. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, I'm going to, I'll, I'll tell you a story about a person who I met around Christmas, got on the phone with them, explained everything no differently than I explained it to somebody two days ago who already has it, you know, down pat and just kept struggling, couldn't get it straight. The other day was talking to them said something else that all of a sudden clicked for them just like that. And, um, it was, it was amazing to see that it was just this tiny little piece that just didn't strike her correctly. And so it was still holding her up. So I said that and she's like, okay, absolutely. I understand it now. Boom. A day later, here's my graph. Everything clear as a bell. And I'll, and I'll tell mm -hmm. you, I'll tell you that I went into a hospital recently and did um, a support group. So 40 people mm. maybe, right, more newly diagnosed, mostly parents, couple of adults. Um, I spoke for an hour, gave the pretty classic presentation that I'll give like at the JDRF events I'm going to this year, and then was able to do a Q&A an hour past that. So I was there for two hours, start to finish. 80% of the people in that room have contacted me since then and they're doing so, wow. so much better. 
And as excited as I am about that, all I can wonder is why did the other 20%, like, how did it, why did it not hit them? You, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's the part I think about. I'm like, how did I, what did I not say that didn't reach those people? And I think in the end, to your point, it's they might not have been ready to hear it. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, some patients do have a hard time with, with CGMs. Because, again, I mean, what, what, what you do for Arden and what, you know, now most of your listeners do is, you know, we dose based off of our Dexcom and based off our trends and based off of all of these things. And we pre-bolus when we see arrows and we, you know, we do all of these things that help keep us, keep us way more in line. But there's a lot of people that just can't, the, the fact of having two things is too much. So, you know, that was how I was long period of time. Like when I was in high school, especially high school and college, I was like, I don't want a second thing. Like it's already too much to have pump with this tubing and with this site and to have, you know, why can't they make it the same site? That was always my, my biggest thing. And I talked to patients all the time about this and they're like, I just can't have two sites. And I'm like, I understand I was there. Fine. Um, again, it can be better. So a lot of it is just getting patients to that point. Yeah. Of, of getting the getting the product that half the time I feel like I'm in sales <laughs> because I'm like, you need this, you need this, you know, it's going to help so much. Um, I feel that way sometimes when I do the ads for Dexcom and Omnipod, I think, I hope people believe what I'm saying because I really mean it. You, you, you know, like, like it, mm -hmm. but, but it does have to be, I think back to Michael and I know Michael listens all the time, sent me a note one day and said, it's such a simple email. It said, okay, you win. I'm getting an Omnipod. And I remember, <laughs> I remember laughing about that thinking, how many times did he hear, this is great, you should have this, before he went, oh, okay, all right, fine. Like I beat him into it. You, you, you know what I mean? And now he's, yep. thr he's thrilled with it now. But yep. I get that. Like, I knew yeah. somebody who did injections for years and they just didn't want to pump. They just, mm -hmm. just didn't want it. Yeah, and, and I get you know, that even too. going from a tubed pump to a tubeless pump, um, again, you know, I do, I do pump show and tells also. So like a patient will come in and they'll say, I want a product and I'll show them all the products. And, um, ultimately it, always, I feel like the question I always get is, cause it, you know, it comes up that I'm diabetic. I don't ultimately share that right away, but that just comes up. It's really hard to, you know, not share that. And I want, I'm, I'm totally open. I'm totally want patients to understand that I, I get it. And then, you know, I think it breaks down some walls, but you know, they'll say, well, what do you wear? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, and then I have to go into that whole what I wear. And um, there is pumps, you know, a lot of patients, there's a pump for everybody. Um, and so not everyone, you know, wants the Omnipod and that's totally fine. Because, right. um, you know, it's patient choice. At the um, end of every one of those ads. When I got, go ahead, sorry. I, I was going to say, at the end of every one of those ads, I say, look, try it and you'll decide if it's right for you. Like, you, exactly. I'm not saying it's going to be right for you. I'm saying, try it, you, you know. Exactly. Yep. And I mean, when I, <laughs> I used to work at an endo office and when I, um, I worked with a nurse practitioner who was like, you have to try the Omnipod, you have to try the Omnipod. And I was like, eh, okay, you know, I don't know. And so I did, I eventually tried it. And, you know, it, that took away a lot of my, you know, I don't want to say I'm, you know, I don't know, vain or that I, you know, worry about my, what it, what it looks like, but it, 
I did. I cared a lot about that, about how I how I wore it and where I put it. And so switching to the Omnipod, I thought it was going to be too big, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't. And it, it really has been amazing through, especially like through pregnancy and after pregnancy. I don't think I could have had a tubing <laughs> and dealt with all of that. So it, Because you were just uncomfortable awesome. to begin with? Say that one more time. What, what what about being pregnant? Was it that you were uncomfortable as you were pregnant and you just didn't? I think it was mainly just like I didn't want to have to deal with a tubing as well as just kind of feeling uncomfortable through all of that. And then after you have a child, you know, just there's a lot going on. So I think it was really nice to just have, you know, I didn't have to worry about, you know, getting my tubing pulled out while I was trying to get up off the couch and I had a C-section. So, you know, recovering from all that and, oh, got to feed the baby and now I have to change my site, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think it was just really nice to just have, you know, this is contained, it's on my skin, predictable. A long time ago, Omnipod had a tagline. They said, well, like the, the Omnipod makes diabetes a smaller part of your life. And I find that to be true. I, I, I try to kind of hammer home the amazing thing. You can switch an Omnipod in like three minutes. It's, yeah. it's crazy how quick you can like go from one to another when it's time to change it. I see people, yeah. there's a, there's a YouTube online where this girl's changing her like tube pump and even at fast speed, it goes on for 10 minutes. I'm like, how long was she at that? Like she's <laughs> going in fast forward. If I did one of those videos, it would be over like this and that, that would be the end of it. I will. I mean, Omnipod is so fast and it's so nice that you just, there's only got your vial of insulin and you have your pod. That's that's it, right? I think for more than anything, it's that because I will say when I was on um, a Medtronic pump um, for most of my life, I got very quick at it. I mean, I could do it in less than two minutes. Sure, yeah. But it, it's a pit. It's a pit stop eventually, right? Like you get eventually. That, yeah. It's yeah, but more than that, it was just the, the pieces to it, right? It was the I have to have these two things and this this third thing and you know the two the pump and the old tubing and you know. So I think that was more the changing of it than anything, but. Um, yeah, it is it's so easy and so nice. Well, so, as- I love it. Aside, oh, hold on a second. Arden sang lunch. Give me a second. Oh, no, you're fine. No, we're going to do her. Um, we have to do a temp basal increase. I'll tell you all about this in a second. 95% for an hour. And bolus. Boy, here we go. This is going to be something. <sighs> bolus. 13 units. Sixty percent now. Everybody's gonna be like, "Wow, he's going so slow. Why is this happening?" And the rest <laughs> over a half hour. I'll tell you why. And then we'll get back to uh, what I want to tell you about ease. So, Arden's in high school now, and she's sick. She told me two days ago, "I don't feel good. My head's full." And we've been upping her insulin since then. She goes into school today, blood sugar's 106. She gets a little diagonal barrow. I try to bump it back down. The bump doesn't work. I give her a little more. Then she says, her friend and her are going to go get a muffin um, for breakfast. There's a muffin at this high school, Carly. It's a bomb. It's a, it's a carbohydrate bomb is what it is. Okay? Like, to call it a muffin is unfair. It's, it's anti-having diabetes. So I'm like, okay. And we move up the basal rate do a big bolus. I'm like, this is going to be enough. And she just sits at that 150 and sits and sits. And I'm like, hey, did you finish the muffin? She goes, I just finished. I'm like, okay, great. Give a little more. Did a unit. Then 
Oh, hold on a second. She's not seeing my text. I texted her back and then she said, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think she, I think she's having, and now she's being irritating to me. Like I assume I am when I say to her, she, when, when I text her and she thinks that she can hear, hold on a second. I'm not sure. <laughs> Let me see. We'll go back to this for a second. I would see if uh, she's hearing it or not. Sometimes she gets in a bad signal spot. And I was going to say, it's probably what it is. Yeah, Sometimes yeah, schools yeah. are bad at that. Yeah, let's see. All right, she hasn't helloed dad me 16 times, so let's assume she saw it. Um, so she, <laughs> she gets the muffin. It's holding her steady at 150. I blame the cold a little bit. She did a great job of pre-bolusing, you know, telling me ahead of time, so that wasn't the problem. Then all of a sudden, the diagonal up went to straight up, which we never see. Now we're throwing insulin on. I'm like, three more units. Do this. Throw up the basal. She went to like 270. I was like, oh, my God. And now she's like 220, and she's coming down. But she's walking into lunch. So yeah. I'm now trying to – it's a different game now. Oh, yeah. And I just did this with a mom. Please, no one ever do this, okay? But a, a woman I've been talking to for a very long time – was having trouble. Her poor kid's blood sugar was 300 one day. It got her thinking about it in a different way. And then she's like, you know, we're getting off the phone and she says, oh my God, he's hungry. What do I do? And I said, uh, you want to, I said, are you desperate enough to try something stupid? And she goes, I think I am. And I was like, all right. So I said, <laughs> how much insulin do you think gets him from 300 to 90? And she said, I think a unit. We're talking about a pretty small kid. And, uh -huh. I said, and I said, and how much insulin do you think he'll need for lunch? And she says, I think a unit and a half. And I was like, okay, give him two and a half units right now. And I said, we are going to create a free fall in his blood sugar. And then we're going to put the lunch in at the exact right time. This person on the West Coast, basically. So it's me on the East Coast, her on the West Coast. We're doing it through text messages. 90 minutes later, that kid had had his lunch and his blood sugar was 75 and stable. That's awesome. Oh my God. It was so exhilarating and fun and horrible all at the same time. And I'll tell you <laughs> what, because I, we created a double arrow down on purpose. And so, you know, around a certain number, I was like, okay, like give him his food now. And he ate it. And, but the double arrow down held on for a while, like 200, 180, 170, 150. She's like, what do we do? I'm like, hold tight. <laughs> you know, like, like I felt like we were, like, you know what it felt like? Star Wars, when uh, they have to blow up the Death Star and you can see him like, well, he wants to shoot it, but he's waiting. And I'm like, hold, just wait, 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 stay on target. Right. And I was like, like, keep going. Yeah. You were probably more nervous than the mom. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I was doing okay. And then I was like, okay, right here, let's give him a few sips of juice because we want to cut that arrow from two to one. And she says, we don't keep juice in the house. Oh and I thought, oh, I just killed a kid. So, <laughs> uh, goodbye. No, no. So I was like, I was like, what, what do you mean? She says, oh, we use jelly beans for Lowe's. And I was like, is there any liquid in the house with sugar in it that's not soda? And she goes, we have lemonade. And, uh, and, and she's probably listening to this now being like, oh, my God, that's me. And I was like, okay, give him four <laughs> ounces of lemonade. Two arrows went to one arrow. One arrow went to diagonal down, came in for a beautiful landing. And so we talked about it later. And my wife and I were talking about it um, in the car because we were going somewhere after this. And she's like, wow, that was like a master's class in how insulin works. Like a 90-minute yeah. crash course in learning how insulin and food affects you. And yeah, it, absolutely. Was, it was amazing. And now three days later, they are doing so good on their own. 
That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about like that lemonade and the, the jelly bean situation is I found with the Dexcom, yeah. I, I don't 15 grand no, <laughs> for my yeah. low. You know, right. that's what we hammer in people's heads. You know, 15 grand. 15 grams. You should retest 15 minutes later to see where you're at. Um, I need seven, like, right. or less, or I'm way high. So it's pretty uh, interesting. You know, everyone's different. Yeah. And their sensitivity to food and insulin. And so that's been pretty eye opening for me over the last three years, realizing what actual, what food actually does to my body. Yeah. I tell people all the time, you have to think about it differently. Like, you know, the way you think about my blood sugar is X and I affect it with insulin. You also have to be able to think of my insulin is this and I can affect it with food. Yep. Like if you flip that upside down and think about it like that, that's brilliant because like you said, a 75 and steady that you just wish was 85 maybe is three jelly beans. Maybe it's yeah. two sips of something like, right? Like stop, just don't just drink the whole juice box because you have the whole juice box. Like that's, yeah. that's doctor telling you 15 car, 15 grams, 15 minutes. That's don't die advice. Like, like that's, yes. that's, I don't know what's happening. I won't be there. So just drink it all because that should stop it. And no CGM advice because right. in the past, you know, when the, all of these, you know, kind of rules or these, you know, recommendations were made, it was, you're probably 50 when you find out you're low mm-hmm. or been crashing, which is why you feel so low. Yes. Um, and so it's just a different, it's a different scenario altogether. Absolutely. Uh, no, being blind to what your blood sugar uh, is, the speed it's moving in the direction it's going changes this whole thing. If, if hmm. trust me, if I tested my kid's blood sugar and it was 50 and she's wearing a CGM, I'd go, all right, drink a little. Let's turn off your basil and see what we can do here. If I don't have a CGM, I'm like, drink the whole thing. Have a banana. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, do you want anything else? You know, like it, it just, yep. it just changes the whole thing. But yeah, I, I want to go back for a second. You talked a okay. lot about ease of technology. Like you need technology to be easy mm-hmm. and that people can only handle so much in their life, which I believe so, so thoroughly. And I think that what we've kind of created here on the podcast does make diabetes a smaller part of the considerations that you have to make during the day. Do you find that like bumping and nudging and setting your tolerances closer so you can react sooner? Does that in, in real practice? Yes. Tell me about it a little bit. Hey everyone, jumping back in just for a brief second again to say, I hope you check out dancing for diabetes. It's an organization run out of Florida that helps children with type one diabetes through dance. Dancing for Diabetes is wonderful and life affirming and I hope you take a second to check them out. You can do it on Facebook or Instagram, but really go to their website to really see what they're doing. Dancing the number four diabetes.com. Yes, I, I do. So you know, I know you've talked about diabetes burnout on here before, and it's a huge topic among the diabetes education world because we see it daily. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I always say is diabetes burnout is not the act of managing your diabetes. It is not the, it's not the checking the blood sugar. It's not the insulin. It's not the treating the lows. It is doing all of those things and having terrible results because you can't you know, you, you're working so hard and you have nothing to show for it. You know, you go into the doctor, your A1C is eight or nine, and that's not acceptable for an endocrinologist. And, and, you know, 
and the, and the patients don't like it either, but they're feeling like I'm doing all this work and there's nothing to show for it. And so, yeah, I mean, with, with your the diabetes technology, it takes out that portion of it. It's less stressful. It's you feel better. So you're more capable of managing it with the, you know, technology that we have. Oh, see, thank you. Thank you for that. Cause I don't know. Again, I assume nobody believes me. I had no idea what you were going to say there. And so you could have <laughs> completely disagreed with me. And I would have been like, uh, I can't hear you. Never mind. But no, no, but no, I just, I think that to your point, burnout is any, like, I just watched my wife do this big project at work that took her nine months. And for nine months, she's like, if anybody has input, if anybody has input, if any, and everybody's like, no, no, we're good, we're good. Then on day, you know, 90, you, when she locks it down, day 90, nine months, how many days is in nine months? Like on whatever day that was, she goes to lock it down. Someone's like, oh, I have something to add to this. Mm -hmm. And what seemed to kill my wife was the idea that she had to go back and do it again. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and so I think that that's it. Like if you count your carbs... And put your, and I don't think doctors give enough consideration to this. If you count your carbs and put in your insulin and wait three hours and test and your blood sugar's 330, well, obviously something didn't work. But when a doctor tells you, no, no, that's the right thing to do, you never go back and think about those pieces because someone's already assured you that you did the right thing. So that's when you get to people saying, well, that's just diabetes, which to me is a is a sentence that should be thrown out of the world. What, when you find yourself saying that's just diabetes, what you mean is I don't understand how insulin works. Yeah. Be because if I did, this wouldn't have happened. Because even what happened with Arden today with her blood sugar, I knew this was going to happen. Like I let her have this muffin. I knew her blood sugar was going to shoot up. I didn't want it to go that high, but her having the cold was an extra level that I kind of couldn't quantify. And, yeah. and, but I knew it was going to happen and now I know how to take care of it and I'm going to get it back again. But when things are happening that you can't explain, it's demoralizing, it's exhausting and it yeah. makes you, and it makes you feel like, why am I trying? Yeah. And so when patients do come to me and they say, you know, I have, I'm struggling with this, that, you know, I feel like no matter what I do, you know, I can't, I can't perform. Like I can't. I, you know, and these people are people pleasers. or, you know, they want, they want, want people this. to be proud of them that they're, they're, they're trying oh. their hardest and they say, I just can't, I just can't do it. And I go back to even, I mean, I only became, I, I only became a CDE like a few months ago. I've been doing diabetes education for a couple of years. Um, and uh, my whole, the whole rest of my life, I've just been a diabetic. So that's really where I, where I like to sit is in being a diabetic because you know, I don't view myself as being an expert in diabetes at all, but I think using my life and, you know, now the, you know, knowledge and the med medical knowledge that I have now, I can, I can be a good diabetes educator. But my point of saying that is that I, it wasn't that long ago that I was sitting right where they were, yeah. that I was struggling to get my A1C down, that I was you know, as a bedside nurse that I was walking around with a blood sugar of three, 400. And my coworker would say, my patient's blood sugar is so high. They're so non-compliant. And I was like, yeah, that's funny. Cause my blood sugar's 275 or my blood sugar's 350. And would you have considered really yourself day? Yeah. Would you, know? you have considered yourself not like quote unquote non-compliant? I don't that word. Yeah. Um, I don't either. But would you have thought of yourself that way is what I'm saying? No, I would never have thought of myself as that. Um, mm -hmm. Usually it was stress. It was, you know, not getting lunch or 
getting low and having to slam some juice while I was go trying to run and do something for a patient or whatever it was that I was doing my job. It was, it was no CGM. <laughs> so it was just flying by the seat of your pants. Um, hoping that your blood sugar when you checked it was within range. Right. And um, that's what I remember uh, for most of my life. You mm-hmm. know, that's, that's been the, you know, at least 17 years of my diabetes life has been that. Yeah. And that so, word, I'm sorry. I didn't know. So I, that's where I, with my patients when they tell me that they're frustrated, I totally understand. And I think that word non-compliant is a medical word that's been unfairly applied to a lot of people with diabetes. So there yep. is there is a medical I, there's a medical concept that somebody can be non-compliant. If I tell you take one of these pills every day for 30 days and you flat out won't do it, you are non-compliant, right? But yep. but if you have a brain injury and you don't remember the pills every day, that's not non-compliant. You have a different reason. And, and if I, as a doctor set you up with a plan that is so boneheaded that you had no chance of ever keeping your blood sugar in line and you get so tired of it that you just look at me and say, look, this isn't working. I don't know what you want from me. That's not non-compliant. That's you being a bad doctor, you know? So, and you can't just I think it's ego on the doctor's part. I think they write people off as non-compliant so they don't have to think that they failed them. Right. And like when you said, even with pills, like even with pills, I'll go in, you know, because I, again, I see some type twos. I see lots of type twos. So I'll go in and see a patient. And so why aren't you taking your um, Genuvia or whatever? Why aren't you taking your medication? And, um, you know, the in the chart, it's non-compliant. But... You know, in reality, when I get down to it, it's, oh, my my sister took Genuvia. This is just an example. Sure. <laughs> um, this is not something that actually happened. Um, but so my sister took Genuvia, and then she died two months later. So then she thought that the reason she died was from taking this medication or whatever. So there's so many different examples I could give. So even things like that, when you really sit down and talk with somebody, there's normally a reason and it might be a silly reason to to most of us or to to a doctor or to to me but to that patient it's a very like it was life and death you know, just yeah. yeah it's life and death it's a very justifiable reason so for most patients it's that they don't have the access or you know they're going through a lot of you know, really tough stuff at home and again they don't care about their diabetes right now are they non-compliant no, not really. They really need to probably see a psychologist or they need, you know, they need some support in their life or something like that. So they need a podcast. That's what they need. They need a podcast. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. listen, and, and that's just, it's just an amazing point that it's, it doesn't make someone, it, it doesn't mean they don't care about their health. It, it just means that they've gotten to a point where with the information they have, they can't win. I mean, let's put it into a different context. You put me on a football field with a professional football team and make me the running back, 47 years old, and tell me, run the ball. Now, these men are going to crush me over and over and over again. I'm not going to take two steps before a 300-pound guy comes flying through and knocks my head off. If I tell you I don't want to do it anymore, am I a non-compliant football player? Or am I just a person with common sense who says, listen, this isn't working, and so I'm not doing it anymore? Right. It, it, it just, right. It, I just think that it is incredibly incumbent upon us to give people like I would implore anyone who's listening in the medical community that, um, over the next 
by the time you hear this, we're going to be months into it, but you guys mm-hmm. have heard for the last couple of months, starting in February of 2009, Jenny Smith is going to have been back on the show, and we're going to break down my ideas about the podcast into these little simple-to-digest bits, shareable, re-listenable, short, talking about pre-bolusing, talking about temp basling, like really breaking it down in easy-to-understand, digestible ways. I'm telling you, if that's how you talk to people about diabetes... From my experience, I'm telling you, you will elevate and fast forward people in a way you can't imagine. It's just, it is that simple. I, yeah. I know everyone's different, but there are some basic things about diabetes that are not different for almost everyone. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it's fear of low blood sugar or there's so many different things it can be. And um, I don't think anyone wants to be non-compliant. Of course. They might not want to be diabetic but they don't want to be non-compliant. Step one is fear, by the way. None of the things I talk about on the podcast work if you're afraid of your insulin. None of them. They can't, you know? And it's easy to say if you have a CGM. I'm not going to deny that. I mean, the, the person who I told you I took from 300 to 75 in 90 minutes with a meal and stable and didn't, you know, that... I mean, without a CGM, I don't know how you do that. Without, I mean, yeah. I guess you could. You'd probably test the kid a dozen times, mm-hmm. y- you know. But um, so I guess in that in that regard, it's not not doable. It just, you know, it's not as easy, and it's not as I don't know what the word is. I, I, it's not carefree um, because I was there for ninety minutes. It wasn't carefree. It was a little intense, but it wasn't. I never worried about it because I've done it so many times. I know how to do it. Like, they, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? And that the mother was there. She was with them. They have a CGM. You know, right. I, I had her test a couple times to double check the CGM. It couldn't have been any safer. And in the end, all we did was, it, it's it's crazy, but all we did was put in the right amount of insulin at the right time. Yeah. Timing is just, it's, it's, it's life changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a whole different, it's a game changer. And when, when I, you know, talk to patients about like a pre-bolus or, um, you know, just getting ahead of that, that low or making sure your blood sugar is kind of on its way down before you eat. It's, 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 I love the feedback I get yeah. because you, know, you do feel, and I'm sure when you started this, you were like, I don't know how people are going to take this. I don't know how this is going to go. And the same thing, because I'm, I'm talking to patients and I don't, again, I don't do it, do it with everybody, but I have those patients that say, I struggle with meals. Every meal I struggle with. I'm like, well, let's change the time of your insulin. Mm-hmm. And every time they're like, whoa. Yeah. Like that. Was I, crazy. I, I <laughs> people are like, my blood sugar is high all the time. I'm like, well, use more basil. I, I'll tell you the one thing you must see as a person who educates somebody about using a pump, because I see it constantly from the people I hear from. Oh, I switched to a pump and now my blood sugar is high all the time. Why do doctors lowball the amount of insulin for a basal rate when they set up a pump? Because then the people yeah. think it's the pump's fault. So they, they yeah. have reasonable control on their their injections, right? And they're using, I don't know, 10 units of basal insulin a day. And then you put their pump together with six units of basal insulin. Then their blood sugars are 225 and they call you and you say, well, let's, you know, keep going. And, you know, maybe well, I'm like, what are you talking about? I talked to somebody the other day. I'm like, you went from 10 units of slow acting insulin to six. That's why your blood sugar is high. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, I mean, look it's not brain surgery, right? You went from this much insulin to this much insulin and your blood sugar went up. But that poor person was so confounded because that's what the doctor told them. Yeah. So they never considered that part. 
Yeah, oh. that's true. And and I do think the reason why they do that and uh, is because you do utilize your insulin way better when you're on all fast-acting insulin versus the long-acting insulin that, you know, forms a crystal and your skin and slowly release and the absorption isn't always the best. And so when we switch to fast-acting insulin, more often than not, I find that we have to back off even more. Um, but, which that's not every patient, but I do find that that's, that's the case. So, but why so, make them wait three months before you make right. another decision? Tell the person, look, I'm going to set your pump up at six units. By the end of the afternoon, if your blood sugar is high, we're going to push it <laughs> up again. Like why three months later? Like, like that, because, you know, throw me a text message at five o'clock and tell me what your blood sugar has been. Like yep. I, I, it's not, or tell those people, look, I'm going to put it at six, right? But if your blood sugars are abnormally high, I want you to go, here's how you go into the settings, change it to seven for 24 hours, you know, and then wait another few hours. And if it's abnormal, change it to eight. And we're going to keep pushing it up. There's no reason to wait that long. Yep. You know, I um, ask for pump downloads within a couple days yeah. and then we can make frequent adjustments. And I always say, look, this is something you can do all the time. Like right. you don't have to, because a lot of times what happens with diabetes and this is why the burnout occurs is you know, you see your doctor every four, five months, if you're lucky, three months is like, doesn't even happen anymore, it seems. And you, you go, you go that whole four months with high blood sugars or with crazy blood sugars. And then you get to the doctor and they're like, ah, oh, your A1C is high, really need to lower this, you know, and then it helps a little bit. And then we don't fine tune it anymore. And then four months later, we're back where we were. And so, you know, it's like a vicious cycle. So it's like, just, just download your pump and send it in and we can make adjustments and within next week you'll be feeling great. So this person told me the doctor said, well, we have to establish a, um, a pattern. I said, we already did. They gave you less insulin. The pattern is you're not using enough insulin. Like, like it's just, it can't be, if your blood sugar is high, you don't have enough insulin or it's mistimed or a combination of those two mm -hmm. ideas that applies to basal too. Yep. And, then, and then people are like, you know, now my meals are crazy. I'm like, well, yeah, your meals are crazy. So, so in this example, they went from 10 units a day to six units a day. And now their boluses weren't working, like their meal times weren't working. I said, yeah, because your boluses are just replacing the basal insulin that you're missing. Like, yeah. you, you know, I'm like, you're, you, you haven't even addressed the food or the, um, the, the action of the carbs or the momentum that those carbs are going to create because the insulin's not, you know, per, um, giving you enough resistance against those carbs. There's so many reasons why it's basal. I tell people all the time, when you're bolusing too much, your basil's wrong. Like it's, it's, it's just simple. I, I can't keep saying this, Carly. It's just, it's too easy. I think that a lot of what you said here today, if not everything you said here today, I 100% on board with. I'm thrilled that you came on and I'm glad you're in the business now. Like I'm glad you're one of the people helping other people. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, the right job for me. I, I, I love it. But, um, you know, it does, it's, it's interesting to live it and do it as a job too, because you run across lots of different opinions, lots of different times, and it's sometimes tough to navigate. Yeah. I mean, listen, you can't, you can't argue with people's experiences and you can show them what you think and hopefully that'll make sense to them. You know, I just said to somebody the other day, like, they're like, you know, I'm getting low every morning, like at, at night at like 1am. And, you know, I, I, my blood sugar drops when I'm sleeping. I'm like, no, no, there's something about your dinner bolus that's doing this. You, you, you know, like it, it is like, I know you yeah. don't see that, but it is. And it, people are very, um, 
reactionary. Like I, somebody put it, somebody, I forget how somebody put it to me the other day on the podcast that I really thought was great, but, um, Oh yeah. I think somebody said like, you know, I arrested 10 people today. They all had a blue shirt on. Um, so blue shirts cause crime, right? Which is, which is not (laughs) true. So just because it's one o'clock in the morning doesn't mean that that's why your blood sugar is low. You have to look at the bigger picture. And so we looked at it and sure enough, you know, this bolus they were using at dinner time needed to be aggressive. But long after the aggressiveness of the bolus was done doing its job and the food had, you know, um, digested through their system, there was still some of that bolus left over. So they, oh, had, yeah. they had to change their basal rate at like, I forget, like 10, 11 o'clock for like an hour and a half so that the tail of the bolus then replaced that basal instead of you getting the tail yeah. of the bolus and the basal. And then there, they didn't get low anymore at one o'clock. Yep. But when yeah, I started... because, you know, the larger the bolus, and people don't agree with this, the larger the bolus, the longer it lasts. It can last up to seven, eight hours for me. I can bottom out later. And there, I know it's from that bolus I took. Mm-hmm. I try to keep my boluses a little bit smaller because of that. But it, I just, you just need a tent basil, you know, later on, a decreased tent basil to avoid that low. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of counteract that food. But yeah, it's, that, that's not everyone's opinion. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's fine because they're like, no, I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm telling you I get low overnight. And I'm like, I don't know how to argue with them. They've been arresting people in blue shirts for 10 years. They must <laughs> think blue shirts cause crime. And I, exactly. and, and you know, so that's why, and listen, I, I say all the time, here's the best, here, you can call this advice. If you have a CGM, lower your high alarm down as low as you can get it, 130, 120, because when you get the 120 diagonal up, it takes such a little bit of insulin to get you back down under 120. But when you get to 200 or 250 or 180, it takes so much insulin. You just heard what Carly said, that insulin could stay in you forever and cause a low hours later. But when you bump in a, a bump of blood sugar with 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5, a unit, you know, you know, if you're a 200 pound person using a unit, that's nothing. And so- right. So highs cause lows because of the amount of insulin you use. Yeah. Um, you know, so use less insulin, control it sooner, and then you think about it less. You, you see 120, you bump it, it goes back again. That's so much better than finding out you're 150 straight up and now you're fighting with this blood sugar for the next three hours. Yeah. It, yep. We're making too much sense it. here, Carly. Okay. Yeah. So we're up on an hour. Um, did we not cover anything that you were hoping to talk about? No, I think we did. Um, I think we pretty much covered everything that I wanted to talk about, but I, I just kind of, you know, I wanted to make sure that, that, that you, even though I said that sometimes like it's not the right patient population, like, you know, this podcast only reaches a certain kind of subset of the diabetes population. I I think it could reach more, I think as we share it. And I think as people, um, learn about it, but, um, I, I want you to know, I find it very valuable. And as a diabetic and, you know, even talking to parents of kids, I think that's so helpful for me just as an educator, talking to, listening to, you know, when you talk to parents of of children, it's, it's, it kind of brings you back to reality because it's very different to be a parent of a diabetic than it is to be a diabetic. And so I think that's helpful for me. And I think it's helpful for all diabetics because most of us have parents. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it kind of helps you see the other side. And it's a different perspective, too. Yeah. I think that yeah. I've said before, like, I think my greatest gift in this is that I can be dispassionate about it because it's not me. 
and because my daughter's health is more important to me than anything else, so I can remove myself from the drama and the anger and the pain and just focus on what needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, Yep. That's true. And that's, that's also why when you're like, when I was pregnant, why it's crazy how your control gets, you know, how, 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 how you think before that you, cause you ultimately care about your child in my case, my unborn child, but you care about their health so much that you, you somehow tighten, tighten your control, even though you thought you were doing it as good as you could before. And it, it is, it's, it's just, it just happens. You just, you pay more attention. You're more, um, into it. And, um, that's when I started pre-bulletin is when I was pregnant. Doing something, um, doing something for love is way more powerful than doing it for yourself. That, yeah. That's for and sure. it, you know, I have continued that and it's, it's my A1C is about the same as it was now that it was when I was pregnant. And, um, that's been it's amazing. Really nice. Good for you. But congratulations. And thank you very much for being on the show. It was nice to talk to you. Thank you so much, Carly, for coming on and being so open, especially from your perspective. And thank you to Dexcom, Omnipod, and Dancing for Diabetes for supporting the Juicebox podcast. Please go to Dexcom.com forward slash Juicebox to get started with the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor today. Or go to MyOmnipod.com forward slash Juicebox to get a free no-obligation pod experience kit sent right to your door. Actually, do both. And after you do that, check out Dancing for Diabetes. It's dancing4diabetes.com. Just as I was about to push stop and button up this episode, I got this note. Scott, your podcast has changed my life. I wish school and camp nurses can somehow be required to listen to the whole thing as part of diabetes training. But I guess if they can't, at least require them to listen to the pro tip series. I bring that up actually because we spoke about that, Carly and I spoke about that a little bit here. And if you're interested, head back to episode 210 for diabetes pro tip, newly diagnosed or starting over, and you'll be able to listen through the pro tip series that way. At this point, I think there's 11 episodes. And even though I think I mentioned in the podcast that I thought by the time 2019 was over, I'd have a dozen episodes. The great news is that Jenny and I are going to keep going. And these episodes are going to keep coming once a month throughout the rest of 2019. So there's already like 11 there and there's more coming. Please don't miss them. I can't tell you that they're life-changing because I'll sound like a jerk and then somebody will leave a review that says, that guy's all full of himself. And so I can't say it, but Abby just did say it. And if you don't believe me, you can go to my Facebook page right now and see where Abby said it. Anyway, I really think that these episodes, whether you are newly diagnosed or if you're a person who's been living with type 1 diabetes forever, I think these episodes will help you bring things into focus in a way that can improve your A1C, and your daily control in degrees that you probably don't think are possible. All right, check them out. Listen through. Don't forget on Friday, there'll be another defining diabetes definition. And next week, just in time for the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, Sam Fold will be back on the podcast. Sam played for the Athletics, Cubs, Tampa Bay. He is one of the current coaches of the Philadelphia Phillies. And Sam came on, you know, so we could like man up the podcast a little bit. He and I are going to talk about how diabetes is oddly like baseball. 